0: You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at FoxSports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
1: You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's having a great hump day. It's Wednesday afternoon here. Phone lines are open 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. That's the numbers that you can reach us at. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Levi, how you doing today, my man?
2: Doing good. You know what today is? P's and C's, first day of the MLB spring training. You got P's and C's reporting. It's an exciting day for baseball to get started back up.
1: And you're not even that big of a baseball guy.
2: No, but I love P's and but C's. But this
1: is a baseball show, and I want everybody out there to know, baseball listeners out there, folks out there that love their baseball, Sting right now on the board. He is He's pumping his fist, supports the organizational cheating of the Houston Astros. we got a worm inside our studio. But nonetheless, baseball listeners out there, we're going to talk a lot of baseball through the baseball season. We're going to talk about the Braves, and we're going to keep you up to date on what's going on with Auburn baseball as well. I know it's going to be hard for folks to make it out to Auburn baseball games. We're going to have that baseball content coming. Unfortunately, Auburn basketball is going to end their season a lot earlier than what we've became accustomed to over the last couple of years with Bruce Pearl. But baseball season starting this Friday. We're only two days away now from first pitch for collegiate baseball. And then, as you pointed out, pitchers and catchers reporting for duty, sir. P's and C's. You love it when they report, and I mean, I had some big news I got to get excited about.
2: The Royals made a big trade with the Red Sox this past weekend that got me a little excited about. It wasn't my... just
1: with the Red Sox. I'm yeah, just, uh, uh, you're yeah. talking about Andrew yeah. Benintendi. Yeah,
2: about the whole big trade that happened, and you know, me not being the biggest baseball fan, but I do love my Royals and that uh, pretty, pretty overall historically bad franchise. A lot like you with uh, the Browns, how we love to cheer for our lovable losers.
1: We're up though. The Browns are doing something special right now.
2: Uh, If y'all can get J.J. Watt, man. I
1: don't know if I want the Browns to make a run at J.J. Watt just yet. I just feel like... It it all depends on how much you're paying him. He's obviously uh, past his prime. He deals with a ton of injuries. I don't want to end up starting paying this guy just to be injured. I don't want to pay a dude that's on IR all the time. If it's
2: a friendly contract, then that's very good because you can't double-team both of them. I mean, J.J. Watt, has. I mean, he was 7th in PFF last year's rankings. I mean, he's been very good. It's just his production has been lacking simply for the fact they've just been able to double team him a lot and he's a little past his prime so he can't really fight through some of the double teams anymore.
1: Look, imagine this defensive line. Whew. Miles Garrett, J.J. Watt, Olivier Vernon, Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi. That's that's nasty. That is absolutely
2: nasty. It's the best nasty. defensive line in football. Oh yeah, it's probably be one of the best we've seen. It's
1: already th- one of the best defensive lines in football. You add J.J. Watt to it, it's undeniable. It'd be one of the best we've seen in
2: the past Five to ten years, just off the top of my head. There probably are some better, maybe, but off the top of my head, that would at least be top five in the past ten years.
1: Well, we've hit on a multitude of topics already Rapid to open fire. up the show. That's right. That we, caffeine we, is kicking in. We, we that coffee. coffee. We, Woo! We got into some baseball. We, we now, now some NFL. Let, let, let's take this and rent it into some Albert football. Depth chart series continues today. It's our A-day depth chart series. And yes, we understand it is still February and we are two months out. But as we creep closer and closer to A Day, probably about once a week in the lead up to A Day, that'll give it, that'll get us pretty close to where A Day is at. We're gonna take a look at what we think the depth chart is going to look like going into the A-day game. This is not what we think the depth chart will look like day one of the college football season when Auburn kicks it off on September 4th. This isn't what we think the depth chart will look like by the end of the season. This is what it's going to look like going into the spring. and These are our predictions on what it'll look like. Of course, they're just working out right now. They haven't even gotten out there for spring practice, so some people maybe think this is a little too early. We think it's fun. This is, this is good to predict this and to kind of open up the conjecture and thoughts on these position groups as we move forward and allows us to kind of dig into it because there was a lot of moving and shaking this offseason. So many guys transferring, going to the NFL. Now we can touch on it and look at a depth chart that looks now, or not necessarily just a depth chart, but a roster. We can look and say, all right, who's gone? Who's back? You know, What what positions need some help? What positions look pretty sure up and locked down? And the position group we're getting in today, we've already done quarterbacks. We did that a week or two ago. Now we're on to running backs, and this is a position group that needed help about two weeks ago. They've gotten some help now, an influx of bodies. I would still say they need some help. I still think there's room for this position group to grow. At the top, it's pretty obvious who's going to be leading this group. Tank Bigsby is not going to be moved from his starting position. I think this coaching staff also made an emphasis to keep Tank Bigsby around and not transfer because they brought back Carnell Williams as running back coach. So I, I think that this is a position group that depth chart-wise is pretty stacked up, pretty locked down in the order that we've got it in going into the spring game. But I would say that there's uh, there's room for it to grow as well with more bodies coming into it over time, especially if they wanted to go out and get a transfer.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of time to get that going. And you also have who won't I assume won't be for the A-Day game with Jarquez Hunter who just signed. You won't, won't be, won't be so there for the A-Day you got three bodies games. right now and then any walk-ons that are on the roster. Exactly. You have a good bit of guys who can come in and at least – Take the load off of Tate Bigsby. Maybe not perform very well, but at least give the body a break because Tate Bigsby's going to be taking a lot of his breaking a lot of tackles. You don't want to run him out there every single play. You got to spell him at some point and get him some rest. I mean, he's a tough guy, but we've seen we've seen what happens when you give the guy a little bit too much workload and he ends up getting bogged down and getting hurt. Don't want that. The best player on the off it's the best player on Auburn's team right now. You don't want to get him injured by any chance. So the more bodies the better and if one of these guys can step up and actually perform very well even like a guy like Barrett or Shivers who could come in and give meaningful snaps that's going to be big for Auburn's offense and for Tank Bigsby to at least not have to worry about you know carrying the whole team
1: I don't think Tank Bigsby's injury was a I don't think it was an endurance issue I think it was just a fluke freak injury if somebody above 300 pounds or around 300 pounds picked you up and threw you onto your hip you'd probably be in pain too regardless of how built you were and bigsby may still be on the smaller side right now for a running back considering he is a freshman so that makes sense that that that, he never felt like he had issues with the workload he was being given
2: oh i agree with that 100 when i was i wasn't talking about him when i said that you know sometimes you give the guy a little too many carries and they end up getting hurt it's just him in general, I, again, I agree with you. Auburn's I think dealt
1: with running back issues, though, it's, over it's the happened, years. It's happened,
2: and I don't want to see that happen to a guy who is as talented as Tank Bigsby is. Not even just from Auburn's, like an Auburn success standpoint, just from seeing a young man who has a bright future beyond college football in the NFL. You don't want to see that guy get hurt early on. And, you know, like a, a Marcus Lattimore, who at South Carolina was a guy who had NFL aspirations, gets hurt. Nick Chubb was one of them, bounced back, has a great NFL career going on. You don't want to see it end up hurting his career if he gets hurt. So you got to have some guys to come in and help him out.
1: Bigsby could be the best Auburn running back we've seen, make the jump to the next level coming out of college. I'm trying to think since when. You look at the most recent guys that have made the jump and have at least landed on their feet in the NFL. Carry on was a second-round draft pick. We, I think many people were surprised to see him drafted so highly in that second round. It's worked out, for the most part, if you can stay healthy. We view Kerryon Johnson completely different in the NFL if he had stayed healthy. That, that's all. And I don't remember the last time he had a healthy season where he didn't finish the year with some type of injury that made him miss significant time. But Kerryon Johnson had all the tools maybe outside of he, – he's not the fastest running back and he's not the strongest running back but he possesses he possesses top level vision top level balance that he's got some he's got some type of it factor to him as a running back that that may not be quantifiable in terms of speed or strength or broken tackles and things like that but he's got the ability to create his own space and and, and do more than the average running back can with the exact same hole
2: he also has just incredible patience that beautiful that that you see that he has it's you know
1: It's Le'Veon Bell-like patience.
2: Very prime prime in his career, Le'Veon Bell. He's a little bit over, you know, a bit washed at this point, Le'Veon Bell. It's borderline
1: psychic.
2: It's nice, but I think one of his big problems is the fact that, you know, he is on the Lions, and now they have a guy in DeAndre Swift who proved himself last year to be a very good running back, and come on, let's be honest. The Lions, I think you said it a few weeks ago or even last week, one of the worst-run organizations in the NFL, if not – the worst it's a bad pro it's a bad team
1: at first i I took what you just said as running organizations and then i realized Uh, oh you mean like the
2: the overall overall, being ran yes the overall but they're also one
1: of the worst rushing organizations in the nfl they've been for so long it seems like they've been a running back by committee type franchise and their running backs are are players like amir abdullah
2: they tried it out bo scarborough a few years ago like way past like four or five years after he had come out of college i mean you can't you can't expect to have reduction when you're trotting guys like out that guys like that out there. And Bo Scarborough had a great day when he played for him. It was just they just never felt like they had that position. Like they they didn't felt like they had a plan with that position. They
1: don't have a top half running back in the NFL.
2: No, I think I think DeAndre Swift could be. I think he will be that next year. Bold prediction. But I think he'll be that next year, given that he will have the primary workload. I think Carryon Johnson needs it. I don't know how we got we got off on this tangent but I think Gary Johnson no, we're, we're looking to at Tank. Else. yeah
1: we're looking at Tank Bigsby versus other and we'll get to the rest of this depth chart series I think this is a very good conversation and you know let's try and take this as long as we can you know Tank versus other Auburn running backs to have gone to the NFL I think he's going to be the most ready for the league the next guy in line is Trey Mason and Trey or, or Cameron Artis Payne now Cameron Artis Payne carved out a a little bit of a career now he may have been third string on the panthers depth chart every single season he was in the nfl except for maybe his first year or two that he was in the league where is cap right now
2: Uh, he was in the xfl before they folded so i don't know where he's at right now i'm actually looking that up because i was curious
1: and he was largely irrelevant he was irrelevant in the nfl he was a third string depth piece running back for the carolina panthers who may get a couple touches in a ball game maybe he just didn't, and he was playing behind some average running backs until Christian McCaffrey came along, which wasn't that long. I mean, he was maybe on the roster for a year or two without Christian McCaffrey, but Cap really didn't do anything in the NFL. He's more NFL-ready than Cameron Artis-Payne. I think Cameron Artis-Payne benefited a lot in college behind playing behind the last great Auburn offensive line oh, that yeah. he's been on the planes. I mean, he had Greg Robinson blocking for him. Then you've got the guy before that is Trey Mason, who we've already mentioned. And Trey was a 3rd round draft pick. And Trey Mason had one good year.
2: I don't think he when we're talking about NFL ready because Trey Mason put together a very he good did.
1: That first is different season. than me saying that he had one good year in the in the draft.
2: He was like he was a good running back but you never thought that he was really NFL ready. I mean his size is a little bit on the shorter side and he just didn't feel He didn't feel like he was going to be a starting running back in a depth. Like he felt more of a depth piece. He felt more of a third down guy who could come in and spell or something like that you just never felt this guy were drafting him to be our starting running back you never felt that with Trey Mason
1: I want to clarify real quick was Trey Mason a third round draft pick that sounds about right can you give me that real quick because I, I think, think he was right. he was either that or a second rounder
2: we can see for sure he was a third round he yep. was
1: pick 75 so he was, he was midway through that round as well which tells me that no NFL team saw him as like a knockout they saw him as a player that May develop into a, he, he may develop into a solid running back for you, may develop into a death piece for you, but nobody saw him as a knockout. Somebody who can just give you some meaningful snaps,
2: spell out your guy, and then... I mean, even the Rams didn't see it. They're the one who drafted him because the next year, they were taking Todd Gurley in the first round or the year after. They, they took Todd Gurley in the first round within the next two years after being But I even think
1: Tank Bigsby offers you more in the passing game than Trey Mason did oh for sure I mean
2: I'll say it I'll say it up until Tank Bisbee leaves he reminds me so much of Alvin Kamara that it's unreal he's a
1: dual threat running back he can catch We never the ball. say that kind of stuff, but he's a dual threat running back. Yeah. He can do a
2: lot. And that's what you want. You want a guy in the NFL who can do both. Look at some of the best running backs in the NFL.
1: They all can Christian catch
2: Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, guys like Zeke. Zeke is very underrated when he's catching the ball in the backfield. You don't think about it that much. Even Derrick Henry has learned how to catch the ball, and that was a big knock on him. Oh, Derrick
1: Henry on screens. Oh, it's nasty. Rip man. cornerbacks Whoa. in
2: open space, it man. That's where he gets his highlights. Exactly. I mean, it's something Whew. that you don't think about with his game because of the way he's built, but even he's catching the ball. Dalvin Cook. I mean, yep. all of them can do everything. Nick Chubb, not so much, but Kareem Hunt. Yeah. If you don't have one, you got to have the other. Gone are the days. But if of, Kareem
1: Hunt wasn't in the offense, Nick Chubb would be pass catching a lot
2: more. And I think he would succeed in that role still. I think that it's just, I think, I think he would still do just fine. I think he, that wouldn't be a big knock on his game.
1: It wouldn't be the same way that they use Kareem, but they would find a way to get him the ball in the backfield. 100%, 100%. 100% agreed. And that's just a,
2: that's just the riches that the Browns have right now. They just have two great running backs.
1: And before that, before Trey Mason, I don't know. I don't know when you're talking about Auburn running backs. So Going back to 4 Tank Bixby definitely seems like the most NFL-ready running back that Auburn's had, you know, in the last decade. More of On the Line on the other side of this break.
0: You are On the Line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com. And on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Over on that FoxSports983.com website today, we got some articles up there, some Auburn baseball stuff is up about their national tv broadcast schedule that got released today that's going to be pretty fun to see some tigers on television also uh the announcement of the postponement of the auburn mississippi state game we got some alabama content up there as well connor prelip d.o.dottie for alabama as well alabama baseball they were named ncbwa preseason all americans that alabama baseball team although they were picked to finish seventh in the sec west they could be the under the radar team in the SEC this year that could shock some teams you just hope that they don't displace Auburn that they displace maybe Texas A&M like Jacob Hillman who was on with us yesterday alluded to that he thought could happen that A&M could finish seventh Auburn still sixth and Alabama possibly as high as fifth we opened up the show today talking about Auburn's running back depth chart we're doing our depth chart series still we started it off with quarterback couple of weeks ago maybe a week and a half ago or so and obviously that one's nailed down pretty easily i think we would all agree that bonex is going to be the starter at quarterback but this is our depth chart series predicting what the depth chart would look like going into a day we will do this again over the summer when it gets closer to media day we've been able to digest a day and, and we're leading up into the college football season so we will do this again once The freshmen get on campus, the ones who aren't in early enrollees. So we're looking at the depth chart series here, and we're doing running backs today. And obviously, Tank Bigsby's at the top of it. We we've talked about that at length up to this point. This is a dumb moment. Like obviously, this guy is the leader of this backfield. He's going to be the workhorse. I think he's going to see you know eighty percent of the carries, seventy-five percent of the carries in this offense. I I I, you know we'll, we'll get into more about Tank Bigsby, but in that first segment. We started talking about comparing him to other Auburn guys at running back that have gone on to the NFL and how ready they were going to the league. And even as a freshman already, the way that we've been talking about Tank Bigsby is that this guy is, is, is going to end up being a stud when he makes it on to the next level. I mean, we're already drawing Alvin Kamara or Alvin Kamara. You're the Saints fan. What is it?
2: I mean, I, I hear a lot of Kamara, but I think it's Kamara. I mean, that's what I hear Saints fans all around, and that's what I, that's what I think traditionally. I think it's Kamara. That's what I go by
1: drawing a lot of Alvin Kamara comparisons which I, I said that back during the football season you know four or five games in I said this guy's going to be Alvin Kamara one day exactly because of his ability to pass catch out of the backfield he does so many different things when i'm when I'm if I say this guy's like Alvin Kamara it means he's versatile and he's not maybe he's maybe not top in speed he may he maybe isn't top in physicality but he's got great vision great balance and the ability to do a, a lot of different things well and it it allows him to be used to the fullest extent in an offense to accentuate his skill set and Tate Bigsby does a great job at at everything that he does with the football in his hands and it's obvious that he's adding to the play right he's adding an extra three to four yards compared to what someone maybe that that is an average running back would do in his in his exact same role He he takes a run that Jatarvis Whitlow would do for three or four yards he takes it to be eight or nine maybe even more. And it's just the reality of it.
2: I mean, that's, that's accurate. That's I mean,
1: not a knock. That is literally like Tank Bigsby knows how to get beyond the linebackers and get to that third level. The third level is where a running back can pop off because DBs in college football don't know how to tackle.
2: That's true. That's true. We saw it a lot last year too that DBs at the collegiate level struggle with tackling. And Tank Bigsby takes advantage of that more so than I can't think of many other running backs – This past year, maybe a guy like Najee Harris, who was just great whenever he had the ball, but he's one of the best. He's one of the best at breaking tackles and making the most out of nothing. You go back and look at some of his three yard carries that he got, a lot of those three yard carries could have been negative two
1: yard carries. Exactly.
2: He made a lot of negative two yard carries become three yard carries, and that you won't see those on the highlight a lot of the times, but they're impressive. They are dang impressive.
1: The other thing about Bigsby is he's fast and agile enough to get to the edge. He can get out there. He can turn upfield. Whitlow was largely just in between the tackles. That is the big difference here between the last two starting running backs here at Auburn, Tate Bixby and Jatarvius Whitlow. He can get to the, Bixby can get to the edge. Whitlow was not a running back. who was, He was not fast. The guy was, was top-heavy. It didn't feel like he had a low center of gravity. It didn't feel like he was capable of breaking a lot of tackles. Bixby's able to get to the edge as well, which is where you can continue to do work against you know smaller, weaker, and not as good at tackling defensive backs. Bigsby's able to do it everywhere on the field and so when we talk about this guy and in our last segment I want to continue this conversation with you because I went back and I found a list of Auburn Tigers drafted in the NFL draft we're comparing him to other running backs that maybe in the NFL draft you know for Auburn were they draft ready how draft ready will Bigsby be after this year and then the next season when he's a junior and can finally take off for the league or I guess he'll he he's still considered a freshman going into this upcoming year because this past season didn't count He got two more years of eligibility for Tank Bigsby before he decides to go to the league. And barring barring anything that sets him back in college, based off of the information that we have in front of us right now, I think you can imagine that he will be a better running back next year because players see... The biggest jump in their abilities from the first year playing to their second year playing. Maybe he only gets marginally better going into year three. But barring any major setbacks, such as an injury of some nature that would require him to stay back into college to prove something to NFL scouts or something like that, barring anything that could set him back, Tank Bigsby should definitely leave Auburn in two years. As soon as he can take off, go. Running backs need to have as much tread left on the tires. When they go to the league as possible, they need to limit your carries in college and get to the league as soon as possible because you're going to be carrying the ball ball more in the NFL because there are more games and you want to elongate your career in the NFL as possible because as a running back, you want to get to your second contract. So for Tank Bigsby, let's take a look back at Alvin Kamara real quick. Alvin Kamara at Tennessee wasn't even the number one running back in that offense. He was the number two.
0: I and mean, he, 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 he
1: transferred out of
2: Alabama. I mean, he was like the fourth running back out of Alabama and then goes to Tennessee.
1: He had virtually no tread on the uh, – he, he virtually had used – You know, he had all the tread left on the tires. I almost said no tread. He had all the tread left on the tires when he went into the NFL. He hadn't been worked yet. He's now getting worked in the NFL, but he looks fresh and young. Running back so many times when they get to the league, they, they start showing some age because they've been carrying the ball so much. Look at Samajay Piran at Oklahoma. That guy shared a backfield first of all with Joe Mixon, but he had a 400-yard rushing game. They worked him. What is he doing in the NFL?
2: Nothing, absolutely nothing. I is he on the
1: Ravens? What is he doing?
2: Oh, that's a that's a good question. I'm going to let you go look up real quick. But yeah, I mean, the big thing with running backs now is they go in. He's to on the, the Bengals. They go into the league and they go in quick. They don't, or when they go into the league, they their careers are very quick, most of the time. They're not, you're not seeing a lot of length. Outside it's one of, of the shortest lifespans of any player. I mean, think about Chris Johnson a few years ago. I know that's a, a few years ago. I know that's a long time ago, but he came in and was dominating the league In the next two years, he's out because he took such a beating and had so many carries and he didn't have that big frame. It's guys who are uber-athletic who can elongate, elongate that career and play for a long time. That's why you see a lot of these NFL teams go with two running back sets, where or not two running back sets, but where they have two running backs on the roster. You see it with the Browns, with Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. You had the Saints with Kamara, Mark Ingram, and this past year Latavius Murray.
1: Nick Chubb will disappear for a quarter. He won't get a touch in
2: a quarter. You want to preserve those guys. Those guys are talented. You want to preserve them, and that's why it's so hard to pay some of these guys. I mean, you think Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the NFL. He missed, what, all of this year outside of, what, like two He's games? getting hurt a lot. Saquon like Barkley is getting hurt every year now you see these guys who are getting hurt a lot and you don't it's hard to invest money into them got to protect
1: your investment with a secondary piece at running back exactly you I have to, to
2: have that and that's something that you want out of Tank Bigsby you really want to make sure that you don't ruin his career by running him into the ground because that could happen I think he should be out of here as soon as year. he can as soon as you can as soon as you can get him out of here and To go back on what you said about the difference between him and Jarvis Whitlow, there's another big difference. Tank Bigsby doesn't fumble the ball. Zero fumbles this past year.
1: He's got to have put something on the turf by now. He just recovered it, right?
2: I see zero fumbles, zero fumbles lost. Where'd you find that at? This is from ESPN. I couldn't find it anywhere else.
1: Well that's ESPN's like one of the few places that I see actually keep up with the actual fumble stat. Most places just keep up with fumbles lost. Yeah,
2: it says fumbles and lost and they have zeros on both of those.
1: I, I thought I'd seen I've, him well, that's what I put thought something too. on the turf at some point, but maybe
2: not. That's what I thought. I thought too that I'd seen him 100%.
1: Maybe they overturned. Maybe I'm I'm having a vague memory of of a call being overturned. Maybe his knee was down at some point. Yeah. He does protect the football very well for compared to what most freshmen do. He's just so far beyond his years right now as a freshman he's already in my opinion like he's already showing things that other running backs at Auburn that went to the NFL draft they weren't showing when they were getting ready to go to the NFL draft he's so well-rounded NFL teams are going to love him in two years I can only imagine what he's going to turn into and this offense a big question I want to ask about this now, bringing this back now to the running back depth chart. How do we expect his role to change this year? Because I do think his role is going to change in this offense compared to what Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris used him as this past year. Auburn didn't have enough time to craft an offense around Tank Bigsby. Tank Bigsby did not have that many carries in the Kentucky game. He didn't start in the Kentucky game. That was Sean Shivers' backfield in the Kentucky game. Over time, it's starting in that Georgia game, but not fully until the game after the Georgia game, which I can't remember who that was. Was that Arkansas, Ole Miss? I think it was Arkansas. It was, Ar- it was Arkansas, yeah. and then after that, I think it was Ole Miss, or South Carolina. After that, it was South Carolina, then it was Ole Miss. In that Arkansas game, we really saw Tank Bigsby take over the offense, and it become his. But Auburn made that adjustment midseason. This offense was not an offense that was crafted purely around Tank Bigsby. I don't think we really saw his usage rate increase over the season. Of course, a little bit of that had to do with the injury in the Tennessee game. But I really thought his his usage rate was going to take off after that Arkansas and South Carolina game. And I don't think we saw it necessarily do that. I think his role is going to change in this offense. And we'll talk about that in a couple of segments. Following this right here, this commercial break, we'll be back on On the Line. And we'll be speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast. You don't want to miss that conversation. Stay with us here on On the Line.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner now joined by Zach Blackerby here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast joining us today. Zach, how you doing today, my man? I
3: am good. I'm good. always enjoy our weekly chats on Wednesdays, bud. Lots of... Uh, Lots more going on this week than I would have expected uh, going into it. Just when you
1: think you're going into the off season,
3: bam! A no giant news drop. No off season here. That's no right. No off season here. I love it.
1: Monday, Gus Malzahn named the head coach at right. the University of Central Florida. What is your major takeaway on that? With Gus Malzahn headed down
3: to Orlando, I think UCF is a winner in this year's edition of the the coaching carousel. I think them in Texas. Probably had my favorite two hires uh, when you look across all, all of college football as far as fit and and other kind of outside things going into it. Um, obviously, it was time for him to move on at Auburn. We all know that here very, very well. The the, the writing was on the wall. It makes sense. And Brian Harson's a great fit for the Tigers. But I think UCF hit a home run with this because Gus Malzahn – is a guy that just wants to coach. He doesn't want to do the booster stuff. He doesn't want to play the politics stuff. And part of that's what got him in trouble at Auburn and kind of you know, started stirring up some things behind the scenes that kind of eventually came out during that coaching search. So the booster scenario at UCF, they're going to let him play or they're just going to let him coach, and that's all he has to worry about. And he's going to have more resources at UCF than most of the teams that he's going to play year in and year out. And every few years, they're going to play somebody big, probably an SEC school or an ACC school, or you know maybe they'll travel. UCF strikes me as a team that'll travel. The issue is a lot of these top-tier teams don't want to play them because you don't really benefit if you beat them. But, man, if they beat you, you look terrible. So Auburn witnessed that firsthand. But I think, uh, I think it makes a whole lot of sense. I think uh, he's going to be able to help them in recruiting. And I think he's going to be able to be able to call tunnel screens on third and 14 and they'll work against that level of competition. <laughs> I like that last little dig there. <laughs> and I don't mean it negatively. It's just he, I'm a huge fan of Gus Malzon. and I was in the camp of believing he shouldn't be fired um, when it's all said and done. And, um, but it's tough when you watch his last iron bowl to think like, okay, he's, I don't know what he's doing here. So it, it, I, I get it. it it was his time to go but and I think Auburn really hit a home run with Harston I you know I don't want people saying that I, you know I'm saying that Harston was a bad hire because people have kind of twisted those words around before but I think um, I think with what he's doing and there's not a whole lot of adapting I think there's a cap on what level of football you can play and so I think it's going to make a lot of sense with him at UCF
1: why should he ever leave UCF this is the question I want to pose I mean I, obviously and I've, I'm one of these people thinking that he'll be gone in the next two or three seasons I agree the way that the contract is structured five years 11 and dollars seems like it's there to protect UCF's investment inside him uh you know in case he does leave yeah then they'll have some money to go and get a new head coach it's kind of a it's a win-win UCF can get back to being a nationally prominent as a group of five school whereas Gus Malzahn can be catapulted back into the power five but I bring up George O'Leary, their longtime coach of 14 years prior to Scott Frost and then also Josh Heupel, he was largely successful, took them to BCS games, and he came from Georgia Tech and was successful at Georgia Tech as well. Not nearly as successful as Gus was at Auburn, but he was successful at Georgia Tech. He stayed there for 14 years and wrote out his career there, why not Gus Malzahn writing out his career at a, at a less competitive level of football where he can have enormous amounts of success?
3: Uh, I mean, he could have stayed at Arkansas State. They were pretty good his one year there, and I'm sure they would have been better the longer he stayed at Arkansas State, and, and he chose to come back to Auburn. And I think, I think the way Gus Malzahn is wired, and so many of these people are wired, and of course, in everybody's career – You know, we're both in radio. I want different things than you do. You know, I mean, that's just kind of the way things are. There's always kind of going to be different motives and personal things and other factors that that play into some things. And, like, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, Gus is still a young coach. Like, there's coaches competing against him that are significantly older than him. So he's got time to still grow his career. And Gus is wired in a way that he wants to coach football – that's all he wants to do, and when you love something that much, you want to do it at the highest level, and UCF is the highest level he's able to do that right now. So why would he leave? I think he would leave because he wants to be relevant, and I know you, you can only be so relevant at UCF, but you can't ever have what you had in 2013 with Auburn or 2017 or even winning like a, the Iron Bowl in 2019. You can't get that at UCF. You can get close, and you can do other things that UCF folks may think are comparable, and they're not. But uh, it can get you a ticket back into the SEC or possibly into the Big Ten or somewhere else. So uh, that's why I think he would leave, is because he wants to be on the big stage, and he deserves it.
1: He made an interesting comment during his press conference saying that he he was in favor at Auburn as well, but he's in favor now that the college football playoffs should be expanded to, you know, just expanded in general, whether that's six, eight, 16, 64. You know, I mean, I'm sure he's talking more along the lines of six or eight. I find that interesting, though, that this is the first time we hear about that he's in favor of an expansion, unless I'm, I'm misremembering.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I know he's talked about Auburn moving divisions and stuff. That's the only really schedule related thing I can remember him talking about. But I would imagine, Noah, that most teams. Outside of that elite top three, and like, unless you're Alabama, Ohio State, or Clemson, I'd even put Notre Dame in there, I would imagine you're in favor of the playoff expanding just because it increases your chances of getting into it. So, yeah, I, I don't remember him saying that at Auburn, but it is interesting that we finally got that. And I'm sure he had that opinion when he was at Auburn as well.
1: Sure. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, that makes sense. I would probably exclude Notre Dame from that group because Notre Dame could benefit from it a lot of years. Like There's a lot of years where Notre Dame might be a top-8 team but not even be you know not have a prayer of being in the top four based on a loss or two, and so I'd yeah. I'd be with you there on that one. Well, that You're makes right. sense. Now We're that we right. talked through that, now that, that that makes sense. Let's switch gears now to Auburn basketball. Okay, a Tuesday night game moved to Thursday night against Mississippi State. Both no, teams, no Thursday afternoon. That's fair. It's at four p.m. on and ESPNU. I love
3: it as somebody who has to wake up at three o'clock every morning. Eight o'clock weekday tips. I hate them with everything inside of me. Don't have to worry about it this week. So <laughs> the weather uh, messed up a lot of people, but selfishly, it helped me out. But I love afternoon action. We saw a little bit with the NFL with rescheduling with COVID, like the Ravens and the Steelers play like two thirty on a Tuesday or something yeah. like that. I loved it because that's about when I'm getting home. But yeah, yeah, they take on Mississippi State, and how many times have we said this before this season? It's like this is a team Auburn could beat, but I don't know if they're going to or not. It's kind of the you know the same. Um, but same song, different dance. It's you know, time and time again. That's what we're going to look at for the remainder of the season.
1: Well, Auburn's last four games were their easiest stretch of SEC play, and it's behind them. And what did they do? They went one and three,
3: and they should have probably gone four and zero. When you just right. look at it on paper, they were better than all of those teams post Baylor. And if you want to talk about that quick turnaround against, was it against Georgia that they played right yep. after uh, Baylor? That like that Saturday to Tuesday turn when they had to come back from uh from Texas it's like. Okay, if you want to write that off, or you know, external factors or whatever, that's fine. But outside of that, yeah, they like they, they probably should have gone three and one or four and zero in that stretch, and they didn't. And it comes down to it. We talked about it last week, man. It's what are they playing for, and that hasn't changed any. And so it's like you know, it'd be great, you know, but it doesn't really help their development if they win. It doesn't really help next year because that's kind of what we've built up as a fan base when you look at the Auburn Tigers and. Bruce Pearl, I, I don't know what he's selling them in the locker room.
1: and They were so engaged going into that Baylor game, though, even before that in the SEC schedule. And so I have a hard time believing that just because they lost to Baylor, all motivation went out the window.
3: Yeah, and I'm not saying that, but you know, you're going to try a little bit harder on the defensive side of the court when you know that there's potential seeding sure. in the SEC, and... There's not. They will not be playing in the SEC tournament, and they won't be playing in the NCAA tournament, um, regardless of if they went out or when the tur- like they can't. There's no tournament to win. There's no automatic bid for them to chase. So, yeah, it's just kind of when you look at it, it's, you know, what are you playing for? And the fan base has done a pretty good job of responding in the sense of, okay, they're doing the best that they can. This is a young team with no veteran leadership. Because Jamal Johnson is not in a situation where he can lead. He's the only guy that really has the age to kind of match that role inside of a locker room. Um, so you, you, moving forward, it's like you should be Mississippi State at home tomorrow, but are you going to? Honestly, I would bet that they don't. And that's just kind of the way this season's going. And as soon as the season ends, we're going to start to suddenly look and see, okay, what's the deal with Sharif Cooper? Will he even be here next year? And I think folks will be excited for, uh, for the new guys coming in. Got a pair of really talented folks. One of them is the most talented basketball player to ever come to Auburn. And that's, um, that's what we'll look forward to. But as of right now, it's just, you know, maybe you can steal a few more. If you're Auburn, maybe you hope you can mess up Tennessee a little bit, mess up Florida a little bit, and then go to Tuscaloosa and, and you know, end the season with a win. That's, that's, that's what you can hope for right now.
1: These last four games have really defined Auburn's season, especially if they finish with a losing record. Auburn's sitting at 11-11, and 5-8 11, in the SEC. Yeah. They've got their toughest stretch of basketball in this league set up in front of them over these next five games, and Auburn's going to have to go 3-2 and two across these next five. You will be hard-pressed to find three games where you're like, Auburn should win that. You'd be hard-pressed to find two games to say that Auburn should win those contests. I mean, the, the one game where you're like, Auburn should win is this one against Mississippi State. Everybody else is a top-four, top-five team in the SEC. You're going to have a hard time finding finding wins here down the stretch, especially with those teams having something to play for. All of those teams, the, all of those final four teams on Auburn's schedule are tournament teams, at least by Joe
3: Lenardi's projections. Yeah, and, and they're they probably trying are. to stay into
1: it. Right. Some of them are trying to stay in the bracket
3: right now. Right, right. And so, like once again, it's like do you have something to play for? And all of those teams do. My argument to that, just to play devil's advocate, and of course, I, I agree with everything you just said, but. Auburn has played its best basketball against good teams. You saw it against Missouri. You know, Missouri was a top 16 team that came out this past weekend. So, like, you you love that. I think they played harder than anybody else has against Baylor. And then, I mean, even, like, the defense in the first half at Rupp this past Saturday against Kentucky. That was the most engaged I've seen them. And then Kentucky couldn't miss in the second half, and that kind of hurt you. But they have played better against good teams even Alabama earlier in the season when that came down I mean they played Alabama better than anybody else has for the most part oh, yeah. and so um I think I think they'll win one or two of those games I don't think they go zero and three against sure. those three tough teams and I think they're going to be competitive in all of them I don't think they'll get blown out in any of those games especially Tennessee and Alabama I just don't see that happening because Bruce Pearl has had Tennessee's numbers since he's come down you can tell it means something to him and so uh he'll be the first to tell you all that but yeah, you know, maybe that Florida game. And Florida's whooped Auburn in basketball in the past when they shouldn't have. And mm-hmm. so, you know, maybe that's one you have to look at. But, but all in all, I, I think this Auburn team is going to be competitive in every game this season. It's just these close games. They've really struggled in close games. What I think most of their losses have been within, like, five points in the SEC. And that's a big deal. Got to win a big the turnover deal. battle. You got to win the turnover battle and just this team is not battle tested they're young there's so little experience on this team but next year you know and I, I hate to be that guy it's like next year this team will be great but he's got to go through it and like the the timing with the self-imposed postseason ban I think it makes sense I think Bruce knew what he was doing and I know folks outside of Auburn and the Bruce haters and there's a lot of them are saying well of course Bruce did the self-imposed postseason ban the year they're bad and I'm like well what else do you want them to do? Sorry. it goes. It's bigger than that. What if the
1: NCAA, though, decides – and we don't know what's going on inside the program. Once again, we still don't know if there's a notice of allegations inside, inside Auburn's program. But what if the NCAA decides that this year wasn't enough because Auburn wasn't good enough to make the tournament? So I still think there is something to play for. I think Auburn should have been playing this year maybe all year long saying – well, we need to play like we're trying to get into the tournament so that the NCAA doesn't strike us down next year. Well,
3: the record looks way different if Sharif you all year long. Oh, yeah. So the NCAA um, had their hand in that, too. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, that would be my argument against that. But if the NCAA, and I don't think this is a realistic option, but if the NCAA came out and said, hey, that's not enough, you have to do more, it would be catastrophic. It would be a very big deal.
1: Last question here, too, then. You talked a little bit about the fan base handling this year well. I'm curious about apathy inside the Auburn basketball fan base because sometimes I've gone on the record and I've criticized how Auburn's basketball fan base has – it's not like some other basketball fan bases. It's still learning how to basketball. It's yeah, still learning it's how young. to – Right. Um, football's fan base at Auburn had a lot of apathy at the end of the Gus Malzahn tenure. Do you think some of that has trickled into basketball saying, oh, here we go again, can't play in the tournament? You know, do, you, do you feel like maybe that's happened or do you, do you still think the fan base is, is fired up?
3: Well, I think the majority of the Auburn basketball fan base, like we said, they haven't been basketball fans for long, and they haven't been Auburn basketball fans for very long. But the brand that Auburn has put on that has you know, excited a lot of people, let's equate it a little bit to Auburn softball you know, a few years ago, where it blew up, and all of a sudden when there was less to play for, there was less on the line, and obviously they had some other issues going on you know, off the field as far as they you know, were tied to that program. But as soon as the product on the field was less impressive – attendance was less impressive and so I think some of it is tied to apathy I think some of it is tied to just the fact of like I don't know how much loyalty there is throughout the Auburn basketball fan base I mean I talked to so many Auburn fans that you know want to talk basketball and like I'll bring up some of the guys that made me fall in love with Auburn basketball Tay Waller, Lucas Hargrove, oh, yeah. Gravotny Barber may he rest in peace, Dwayne Reed and nobody knows who those guys are. Rasheem Barrett, nobody oh, yeah. Nobody knows who those guys are, but that was the first team, and that team got screwed out of an NCAA tournament. They were the number one team in the NIT, lost to Baylor, interestingly enough. They were a game away from going to New York for that. Uh, I guess it was the Final Four for the NIT that year, but... Those guys were like a big part of Auburn basketball at the time. And like, that wasn't that long ago, like 12 years ago man, or something I like sti- that. Man,
1: I can still hear in my head the PA announcer saying, Rasheed Barrett. Yeah, or Tay
3: with the Trey Waller, you know. And so it's just young, man. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when your whole time of being a, like a hardcore, I'm using air quotes, hardcore Auburn basketball fan, has been when you've been in contention for the SEC regular season, or have been part of the NCAA, you know, tournament that Final Four run, which seems like ages ago, but that's still the most recent Final Four because they didn't have a tournament last year. Like Auburn's yeah. still a part of that, and so it, it seems like it's been a long time. But like, there's only been like three or four seasons where Auburn has really bought into this. You know, we're a basketball school now, so. Um that's a long-winded answer to saying yes I agree with Can you. Can you blame them though? No. That's the other no, side. Of you can't blame them. No. And, and, and you know for the majority of every Auburn fan's life Auburn basketball program has been a disaster. Like it I, I remember growing up and going to the Coliseum with my dad and there'd be us and like 100 other people in that really big empty bearded Coliseum. And it's because the product stunk. It's like, oh, we only lost by twelve to Georgia. Great, you know. And this, so I mean, it, it's a two way street. Um, but I think a lot will be back to normal, quote unquote normal, next year.
1: Zach, I appreciate you hopping on with me today. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff.
3: Yeah, locked on Auburn. Wherever you get your podcasts. I'm also on Auburn Opelika this morning. That is my show on News Talk WA 987 on your radio dial and on Twitter at Z Blackerby. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it, my man. Have a good
0: day.
1: You're on the live with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater here with you on ESM 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. big thank you there to Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast for joining us in that last segment. A lot of great conversation there about Gus Malzahn to UCF, getting his thoughts on that, his perceptions. He's talked on his podcast to some UCF writers as well, so he's got some good info there. Make sure you go and check out the Locked On Auburn podcast with Zach Blackerby there. If you ever miss one of our shows or, or any segments or any interviews, make sure you go and check out our podcast. Go and find it wherever you get your podcast. Wrapping up our number one here on On The Line, Noel Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you. Let's keep talking about where we were at with Tank Bigsby before we went to break. For the Zach Blackerby interview, I believe Tank's I, I believe Tank's role in the offense is going to change.
2: I mean, I think it's going to be focused around him. I think they're building that offense around him. It's going to be, I'll, I'll quote a certain Justin Ferguson, it'll be establish the run, one of his favorite things to say on establish Twitter. Establish it. Establish it, and I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to build the passing game out of the run game. They're going to run through Tank. That offense is going to run through Tank Bixby. It's going to be a lot of runs which are going to lead into a lot of play action, kind of boot out concepts to make a lot of maybe not even boot outs, but I think they're going to build that off of Tank Bixby's running ability, get the defense sold on the run, try to bring them into the line, and then that's going to allow Bo Nix to be better because I think it's not going to be on his shoulders as much. It's going to it's going to take a lot to it's going to be different. I think it's going to be a lot different than what we've seen. A
1: couple of segments ago, I had my thought cut short on this, but this year. Tank Bigsby the offense wasn't built around him per se now you look at some of the games where Auburn had Bo Nix throw the ball nearly 50 times you can't tell me that the offense was 100 percent built around Tank Bigsby and it wasn't like that going into the season because Sean Shivers was the starter and had the most carries on game one I actually think maybe even Bo Nix had the most carries in game one against Kentucky like but Tank was not the leader of the backfield in, in week one he really wasn't even the leader of the backfield in week two but he came on strong in the georgia game and even stronger in the arkansas game and from that moment on in the arkansas game it was his backfield and rightfully so until he got hurt auburn on the fly during the season adjusted their offense you know micro adjusted their offense throughout the year to include more of tank but it was not necessarily an offense that was built around tank this year's offense you're gonna have the full season to craft it around this special player and i think that even among that they're going to find ways to make it not be all on his shoulders which is going to make him even better too we'll continue all on this topic here in hour number two of on the line it's coming up in just a few moments stay with us you're listening on the line
0: you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7 Listen online at FoxSports983.com or ESPNAU.com You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502.
1: Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater it's been a fun show today everybody an absolute blast we've continued our depth chart series we did this with quarterbacks a while back now we're on to running backs and our depth chart series is predicting what the depth chart looks like going into a day we will do this again after we've seen the spring and it's in the summer and we're getting close to media day and we're looking for topics and we're all excited about football and the freshman are finally on campus because i think that does change some things with some of these position groups but this is what it looks like going into a day and of course things will change as the year goes on as well but this is our prediction for what it'll look like when auburn goes into it on a day and, it, and it's been good to talk about it because it allows us to look at these position groups and see which ones need more help it gives us other topics to talk about which is what we've been doing with running back today it's allowed us to talk about as tank bigsby going to the nfl and how he compares to other nfl ready auburn running backs in the past over the last decade and i think you and i would agree him and carry on johnson probably the two most nfl ready running backs coming out of auburn and they and they've came you know pretty close to each other but i think before that in the last 10 years when you're talking about dudes that when they got drafted those are, are two of the most nfl draft ready running backs we've seen and we also took about we also took about uh tank bigsby in terms of his role changing. We haven't been able to fully get through that thought yet because we've ran up on some some breaks here, but I think Tank Bigsby's role in this offense could be about to change uh, from what it was last year, and I think that's a great thing for Tank Bigsby.
2: It's a, it's a great thing because he's the best player on this Auburn team. You want that offense to go through him. You want it to run through him, whether that's heavy run or screens, getting him involved in the passing game. I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing. I think you want to get him involved in the passing game for – sure not just screens but getting him out on little flare outs and maybe some texas routes stuff like that just to get him involved i think it's going to go through him i think the run's going to get established through him and then after that you're going to see a lot more play action a lot more intermediate passing game that's going to build out and then that's also going to open up shots down the field which then that comes back to bo Nicks. you got to have him hit those but i think the whole offense is going to run through the lifeline that is tank bigsby
1: I actually think it could mean less of a focus, less of a raw focus just on Tank Bixby. Like, I don't think it necessarily means he has to carry the ball 25 times in a ballgame. Now, I've gone on the record and said I would like to see him carry the ball 20 to 25 times a ballgame because I think he has the endurance. I think he has the ability to do some really special things if you give him that type of workload. But... I'm okay if instead of 20 to 25 carries, it's just 20 to 25 touches. And I would like Auburn to build out its running back room a little bit more, and we haven't gone deep, th- deep into the depth chart just yet with running back. We've just talked about Tank Bigsby here so far, because everybody knows he's the number one guy here at running back. He's, he's going to be the leader in this backfield. He's going to take 80% of the production out of the backfield, maybe even more, and that's including receiving yards too. I like what you're talking about about him as a receiving back I think what Auburn will use him at, I think Auburn's going to use him more running routes out of the backfield than Malzahn and Morris used him as. Malzahn and Morris didn't really run him out of the backfield on, as you put it, those angled Texas routes that pick on linebackers. It's just not even fair for linebackers. So many times with Auburn, we just saw straight swing passes or just a screen, you know, just, you know, obviously your traditional slip screen out of the backfield. I think you're going to see more stuff where he's actually running a route, leaving the backfield, and going upfield. Not not deep downfield. He's still within five yards of the line of scrimmage, but I think you're going to see him catch more balls on the other side of the line of scrimmage than we've seen this past year.
2: I agree with that. And to go off of that, I think if you can the, – the point of picking on linebackers with those angled Texas routes, you can also do that with a sort of modified kind of an outer and in route where you have Tank Bigsby running straight out of the backfield and kind of getting that linebacker – Flat-footed on his toes, and then it's either you know out or in, depending on what the route concept would be. Those routes are deadly with a running back who can a running back like Tank's Bigsby's, and I, I Tank's keep, Bigsby's, Tank's Bigsby's, Tank's <laughs> Bigsby's. Yeah, the guy uh, I keep saying it, Alvin Kamara in the NFL is great at that. When he gets a guy, or he gets a linebacker flat-footed, and he is completely parallel, just straight up with him. He's great at making that move to the outer to the inside. Getting separation and then turning that upfield for yards gain. And I think that is something Tank Bigsby can do so well if incorporated into the offense.
1: You know why Clyde Edwards Alaire was a first round draft pick for the Kansas City Chiefs? Same. Because he can catch passes. 10 years ago, Clyde Edwards Alaire is not near the first round. Now, he was a fine run- rusher, he was fine with the ball in his hands and running the ball out of the backfield. He was fine at that. He was. Re- he was. Re- I shouldn't just say fine. I should say he was a good running back doing that. But it's how versatile he was. Yep. That it only takes one team. It only takes one team to fall in love with what you do to get you into that first round. And the Chiefs did. He was not a first round evaluation. And I think after we've seen him this past year, where would you say he was a first round? Was he was he worth a first round draft pick? Mm. Would you, as an NFL franchise, draft Clyde, Clyde Edward Hilaire in the first round after think, what you saw out of him this year?
2: If I'm the Chiefs, I think I would. Yeah, like I agree with what the, but that. But that's I, the thing you said. If you're the Chiefs, that, that's what I'm saying. I don't think and I, it's hard to compare draft picks across other teams, especially in the low, like the late first round, because a lot of times it becomes fit based. He fits what the Chiefs did. He fits what the he fit what the Chiefs needed with Damian Williams opting out for the year in the NFL because of COVID you needed a guy who could replicate what Damian Williams did. Issue is, a lot of the times his stats didn't reflect what you wanted, and I don't think that's a knock on Edward DeLair. I think it's just the, how great the Chiefs' offense is. I mean, when Travis Kelsey is catching a touchdown every game, sometimes it's hard for the running back to get involved and score touchdowns.
1: Right, and so my whole point about bringing up Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is, if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can be a first-round draft pick oh, yeah. because of his yep. abilities— like Tank Bigsby, teams are going to love his skill set, and I think over these next two years, with the way that the game has changed, college football and the NFL both has changed dramatically over the years, and it's the emergence of tight ends and running backs playing a more vital role in the passing game. I mean, we're now at the point, and and if people were paying attention this year, it happened a lot, and, and Chad Morris is not the only one to do this, and you may be scratching your head like, why are they doing this? But... There were several times throughout this season where Auburn would motion a running back out of the backfield and send them to the X. They would be the furthest, most outside wide receiver in the offense. They'd split out at a wide receiver. It would happen. You motion them out of the backfield, and boom, they're over there. The Browns do that with Kareem Hunt. It it is a trend in football, and the reason why they do that is you put a running back on the field for personnel. When opposing defenses see that a running back's on the field, that triggers a certain personnel package on defense. Which now you then split him out at wide receiver and, and you're showing like a five wide set. You're probably not throwing it to the running back because he is going to be manned up on a cornerback. But that means some of the other receivers. receivers are going to have mismatches with who's guarding them because they had to now account for that running back now over at wide receiver. So it's a personnel mismatch. And we're seeing more and more of that and more and more creative ways, not just splitting out receivers at wide, at, you know, not just splitting out running backs at wide receiver because I'm not a huge fan of it i'm by, I think we see it too much and I think we saw it happen you know at inopportune times for Auburn last year. Where I'm like, are you, are we really doing this it only
2: it only works if by motioning him out of the backfield into what you said like an x the furthest away out there receiver is if it creates a receiver on a linebacker situation where, you're going to have that mismatch that you were talking about. And then
1: if you attack it.
2: You have to then attack it. That's another thing. The or else Buc- you wasted your plot. The Buccaneers did a great job with getting Leonard Fournette as a running back matched up with Alex Anzalone of the Saints this past year, and he ate him up through the air. And that's Leonard Fournette, who coming out of college was a bad catching back out of the backfield. He's developed into a nice one, but it's all about mismatches. And I think Tank Bigsby, if you can get him matched up on a linebacker or have him out wide, which presents a guy on the inside in terms of one of the receivers matched up on linebacker, this Auburn offense could really do damage because Tank Bigby is su- such a threat out of the backfield catching the ball. If you can scheme him or scheme the offense to where you're creating those mismatches, it's up then to just Bo Nix attacking those weak points.
1: And I'm not advocating to split Tank Bigsby out at the exit wide receiver. Th- those plays happen maybe four or five times throughout the span of a ball game, and, and the receivers hardly ever – the running back is hardly ever targeted as the receiver on that play. Once again, it's purely to, it's purely to attract a certain personnel package from the defense. Yep. And the whole point of what I'm saying about that is, is like Auburn's going to find creative ways to get Tank Bigsby involved in the offense, and it may not just be him carrying the football. I think largely of what we saw this past year was Tank Bigsby carrying the football, and it took Auburn until game three to realize that this guy needs to be the starting running back and he needs to be be the center of the offense. And so they didn't even go into this year with the offense built around them. And by the time that the year started, you're three or four games in and you're having to prepare for other teams too, you really don't have the time. You're installing new things every week. You're not not recrafting your offense entirely around to fit a guy. Now Auburn's got a full offseason and film on this guy to know, oh, hey, we can fit our offense around this one player. Now, I don't think it's a good idea to fit your offense around just one player, you, you need to have multiple weapons so that you're not one-dimensional. But I, I think they're going to find other ways for other players to shoulder lo- the load in this offense to help Tank Bigsby be, be, be more effective than maybe what Malzahn made guys effective. Because Malzahn would center in on one guy, that's it. There wasn't other players affecting opposing defenses to help make that one player more effective. It, it, it needs to be more balanced Outside of just Tank Bigsby, and, and I think that's going to happen over time. So Tank Bigsby is going to be the leader of this backfield, but I do think we see the role change. He's going to be used differently. It's not going to be all about Tank Bigsby, but it's still going to be about Tank Bigsby. Does that make sense? No, I agree with that. It's going to be about Tank Bigsby
2: helping other people out. Like you're not just—it's not just giving. It's not just turning around, and handing him the ball twenty-something times a game. It's going to be handing him the ball a good bit. It's going to be throwing him the ball a good bit.
1: It's, it's going point, to be Auburn using the pass to set up the run some. Yeah. It's not always going to be the run setting up the pass. I think
2: it's going I think to there's be there's going to be a lot
1: more versatility. I think at least I be, hope
2: there will be. I just feel like it's going to be more scheme. Based off of some of the things that Ryan Harson has done before, I think it's going to be more scheme-based in terms of trying to get guys in good positions. And I think that was something that Gus Malzahn only tried to do with tempo. He tried to get guys in good positions by getting the defense out of position with tempo. It wasn't necessarily the scheme or the play calls a lot of the time, at least toward the end of that tenure, and then I think Harson now is going to do a lot of what we hit on. Use Tank Bixby running effectively to set up the pass. Use the pass to set up running the ball very well. Because if, the only, if we're one-dimensional and all we can do is run the ball with Tank Bixby, Auburn's getting nowhere. I mean, you saw Todd Gurley in L.A. a few years ago when they couldn't throw the ball. He was facing stacked boxes, and he was doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. next year has an MVP type of caliber season just simply because they were able to throw the ball
1: phone lines are open number to call in as three three four three two one thirteen ninety or toll free at 888-382-7502 what are your thoughts what do you think the offense is going to look like next year how does Tate Bigsby's role fit into it we know he's the guy we know he's the dog coming out of that backfield but what all do we think that means in this new offense how are they going to use him? I think there's going to be some creative things coming for Tate Bigsby coming out of this backfield at least I hope there will be but the, this These two guys running this offense, Brian Harson from a 5,000 feet above supervisor role, and then Mike Bobo digging into it. They're a little bit more, and I know the word bland has been used with Mike Bobo, but he's a little bit more up with the times than Malzahn was, I feel like. Malzahn never adjusted. We, we've talked about that several times this week. Malzahn never adjusted, but Bobo, I, I, I think, is a little bit more up with the times in terms of using tight ends and how he uses running backs. I think that's going to benefit Auburn moving forward. On that side of the football, we're doing our depth chart series, and we're talking about each of these groups for Auburn moving into the 8A game in the next couple of months. We've already done quarterbacks. Today, we've been on the topic of running backs. And uh so far, we've just talked about Tank Bigsby at the top. We talked about how we expect his role to change. This offseason, they're going to have the ability to sort through it and craft something for him to make him the most effective rather than having to do it on the fly like Auburn did last year with him because they were just figuring out who he was. As the season went on week to week, they were figuring out things that he could do week to week in these game situations. I think this year it's going to be full-fledged. Week one, hit the ground running with Tank Bigsby. And that should that should make people very excited for what this offense could look like in the future. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about who's two, three, and four on this depth chart list. We're going to wrap up that depth chart series. And then as the show goes on, we've got a fun topic coming up. Ranking the most cataclysmic hires of college football in the last 10 years. Stay with us here on On The Line.
0: You are On The Line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back.
1: On the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron analysis, news, and more. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Still going through our depth chart series for Auburn football going into the A-Day game, giving you our predictions on what the A-Day depth chart will look like and we'll do this again when it gets to summertime and we've gotten to see the spring game and we finally got some freshmen on campus so we'll do this twice but I think it'll be fun to predict this depth chart going into a day. we've done quarterbacks about a week and a half to go we got running backs today and obviously Tank Bigsby at the top of it and as promised going into this segment we're going to wrap up this topic for today's show and talk about two and three of this depth chart going into it last on this depth chart is going to be Jarquez Hunter He's not going to be there for the spring game. Just committed, he's not enrolled. So, not possible to see him on spring uh, at the spring game. So, he's not going to be there for that. He may get some garbage time carries in the regular season. I don't think we see that much of Jharques Hunter this year. If we do, then this coaching staff must be very high on him and he must be pretty good as a freshman because I think there's two guys in front of him. They're going to have I think one of these guys is going to end up having a solid year once we look back on it at the end of 2021 but second on the depth chart for me we got Sean Shivers and a lot of this is leadership part of the culture Coach Arson preaches, preaches culture he's a big leadership guy everybody doing their roles and Sean Shivers is that guy out of the backfield yeah I think it's just
2: based off the fact of where he is in terms of leadership and just being a veteran as a running back I mean you got to think the other running back going into the spring game that's not named Tank Bixby just changed his position back to running back so you think that Sean Shivers by default would be the leader going into and would be second on the depth chart going into spring training but as me and you have noted that might not say that way it might not say that way going into the year
1: and there might be a little bit of a learning curve with Devin Parrott moving back to the backfield but I think there's going to be a learning curve for all of these guys they're all going to have to learn a new playbook they're all going to have to learn a new offense now some of people some people out there might be wondering well you know what all do they have to learn it's you know they hand them a football and they run I mean there's different gap schemes there you know you're teaching guys patience you know there's routes that they have to run I mean, you still got to like know what's going on in every position on con- the field you right mean, you got
2: to pass block concepts you got to run routes you got to do I mean different plays in general I mean it's it's a lot there's football is a very complex sport in terms of gap schemes and just
1: if you don't know the offense even as a running back you're not getting on the field no not at all I think I mean, there have been running backs in the past that have had a hard time getting on the field because they haven't necessarily known what to do they haven't known the playbook as well as they should have Sean Shivers has got the edge for me on Devin Barrett because I think Devin Barrett has a little bit more of a learning curve to go on top of that I think the leadership the experience and the culture fit for him out of the backfield is going to be valued a little bit more than that on Devin Barrett but with that being said I think Devin Barrett is the more talented of the two running backs I agree with that and we haven't seen Devin Barrett at running back in two years but I do think he's the more talented
2: Everything you just said, even the Sean Shivers fits that. He fits Coach Harson's mindset. He has that chip on his shoulder. We're going to play Love tough it. nose football. And you got to think Harson comes from that Mountain West background where they weren't the biggest, they weren't the best conference. And it's a lot like Sean Shivers. He comes in a little bit unassuming in terms of stature, but he runs. He runs like Derrick Henry. Like in his mind, he thinks he's Derrick Henry. He runs to hit people. I mean, just ask Xavier McKinney. He, he runs, runs
1: like it's a monster truck rally yeah he's look he's looking to destroy
2: things he is looking to wreck and cause havoc sometimes the body can't quite cash those checks but uh
1: i wish he had a better nickname than worm not hating on the nickname worm but he's not a worm this guy may be small but let's go with something better than worm what about ant like we're going with another bug here another insect let's go with ant because what what are ants known for they're super For, tiny but super human strength or super ant strength, you know, like small but can do some damage. The ant has got man, some Ant-Man, the Ant-Man. The ant There's always hey, Marvel's, hey, we, we got to be careful yeah, here, Marvel yeah. and Disney might come after us. Oh, true. <laughs> well, this is a Disney
2: uh, we're we're affiliated with Disney. That's Yes, ESPN 1067.
1: So, I mean, you talk about that there with with t- uh with with Sean Shivers. I, I just I would prefer something a little bit more <clears throat> than than worm. I mean, Tank is tank, you know you can't and have because his, you nap, have a, you his name's have, Cartavius. you can't know? have
2: a better one than the tank though i mean that's that's like what you want and then you ha- i mean you want the tank you want to be the tank as a running back
1: all right then what about minigun mini for gun. shivers i like that if we're like going with gun.
2: weaponry here can we go with minigun for <laughs> for shivers the minigun that's could, a I big could. punch man but it's it's not a tank i could get behind that yeah i could do that the minigun
1: when I say Devin Barrett is more talented than Sean Shiver, some people may have a hard time getting there with me on that one because he hasn't been playing running back the last couple of years. Look, Tim Horton said they moved him out of the backfield, not because of talent, but because they just wanted to find a way to get him on the field. There was a log jam there at running back when he was playing at Auburn. First of all, in 2017, the last time we saw him at running back, he was behind Carry-on Johnson. And I think also on that same season, would Cameron Petway have still been on their roster for at least half that season, I think. I believe so, at least for like a few games or so. And then midway through the year, we really didn't see yeah. him play anymore. But then after that, you go into 2018, and it is still Jatarvis Whitlow, but they had already moved him out of the backfield. I, for the life of me, I do not understand why they moved, why they moved him out. I don't get it.
2: I don't either. And if you if you want a reminder of what he looks like at running back, go go somewhere, go to twenty four seven sports or something. Watch some of his highlights. YouTube I'm sure has some high school clips of him running his running back. And because
1: I don't buy log jam in 2018,
2: I the just, backfield in 2018 wasn't that good. I really think it's what it, I really think it's what Horton said. I think it's they just wanted to get him on the field in some way, and they didn't feel comfortable with him at running back. I guess I think sometimes coaches. You said this yesterday off air. Sometimes coaches are a little too close to the situation. Sometimes they just don't see things that other people can see. And that's not a knock because, I mean, it happens sometimes. Sometimes you are just so close that you get blinded coaches by the Coaches aren't things. infallible. Yeah, sometimes. They aren't infallible. You, sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes as a coach, you just you evaluate a guy and think, this guy is better than this guy. Or sometimes you evaluate a guy and think, oh, he's really not that good, but he turns out to be great and so So that's just how it happens sometimes. And I think Devin Barrett's one of those guys who has suffered from that. This dude is uber-talented, uber-athletic.
1: I don't know if I'd go as far as to say uber on both of those, but he is talented and he is athletic. Yeah, I
2: mean, he's talented and athletic. I mean, I think he's going to get on the field. By the end of this year, I mean you both agree, he's He's number two on the depth chart by the end of the year. And if he absolutely shows out
1: through spring practices and the offseason? That's if they give him a legit chance, though. If he doesn't, if if for some reason they feel some type of... Agreed if for some reason they feel some type of trying to think commitment maybe is that the right word allegiance i don't know for some reason they feel some type of just they feel like they owe something maybe to shivers to give them a lot of carries we saw gus malzahn do that with cam martin that was the 2018 running back at auburn i don't know if this coaching staff has that same kind of vibe i hope that they put the best players out there regardless of of what's going on you know behind the scenes and everything but like if if they don't give him, you know, a chance to shine, or maybe he's not taking maybe it could be a practice thing and he's just not doing what he needs to do to get on the field to be able to play in the game. But, you know, I'm 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 guessing that Devin Barrett by the end of the year, based on size, his skill set, he played wide receiver for a season. The guy can catch a football if they put him at wide out And he also if you're playing D B in the SEC, if you're on special teams in the SEC, you're athletic. So we know that he can play out in space. They're gonna be able to get him the ball in different ways too. I mean he's He's a much, 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 much less talented Tank Bigsby. Only
2: similar in play style. I agree with that. I'm over here watching high school highlights of him right now, and I'm seeing a less talented Tank Bigsby running the football right now, which they're is good. They're versatile, that's but great. that's it. That's versatile great.
1: is all I should say. I mean, they're they're both versatile. That That's the comparison I would say here is he's versatile like Tank Bigsby. He can do a lot of different things. How well he can do those things, we don't know. But I'm going to take a prediction before I even see this guy on A-Day that he's going to end up flourishing back at his original position. He was a four-star.
2: I mean, I agree. I'm sitting here, like I said, I'm over here watching highlights of him, and it looks like just a very versatile running back who leaves a little bit lacking in the speed department, but great within space, can break tackles, Can it apparently has good vision running the football out in space and down the field and hitting holes. I agree that I think if he gets a legitimate shot, and I think to go back on what we were saying that 2018, you just didn't see the logjam. I think it was their dedication to Cam Martin.
1: That lo- that 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 mucked it up a little bit. Because Cam Martin, because it was Whitlow and Cam Martin. I don't think Cam Martin like, deserved
2: to be on the football field as much as he was.
1: Like we moved this guy out of the backfield because of the logjam of Cam Martin and Jatarvius Whitlow. A guy who did
2: nothing and a guy who did nothing but fumble. So I, I just <laughs> I'm don't go understand. go as far
1: as say did nothing but fumble, but.
2: that was the end of Auburn's
1: reign of a thousand yard rushers
2: yeah that was the beginning I guess you could say they fumbled that chance away man some
1: heat coming over there you're running back don't fumble the ball that's true that's true I mean you know I've gone on the record saying that Whitlow's that I didn't think he was that good either I don't know some people's fascination with him I think probably the underdog and he's a local product so you wanted the dude to be you wanted the dude to pan out and you know I rooted for him but I don't think that he was. he's not as good as what we're seeing now, and he wasn't as good as what we saw before him. And I there's a reason that. why he didn't get 1,000 yards.
2: I think the big thing I have about judging him on the fumbles was they always made the big deal that his mother or grandmother was making him do the push-ups every time he fumbled. Like and that all he was doing a lot of push-ups. All I could think of was it's, it's clearly not working. It's clearly not working. He's fumbling every game. Get out of here with that.
1: Get out of here. Man. You've, you've got some beef there with players that fumble. I've uncovered another thing. you got beef with kickers, yeah, I get people that don't have game. rings, yeah. and now running backs that fumble a lot. That is true. I mean, Mario
2: Mario <laughs> Fannin and Latavius, or Jartavius Whitlow come to mind.
1: Hey, you almost said Latavius Whitlow. I did. I did. <laughs> because you're thinking it, of Latavius Murray. Yeah,
2: that, that saint's brain, just it takes over sometimes. I should be celebrating Marty Gras right now. Come on.
1: And Cam Martin's very similar to Sean Shiver's in this in this upcoming offense as well both small undersized backs that you don't know if they have the ability to run between the I think Sean Shivers is better in between the tackles runner than Cam Martin was oh,
2: 100% 100% I don't I don't think this coaching staff is going to have that mindset where they feel like they owe him anything because you got to think they didn't recruit these guys and they're also coming in with a chip on their shoulder like people criticize Harson coming in here he wants to win he doesn't want to come in here and play favorites play favorites, favorites yeah, yeah.
1: That'll be crucial to them succeeding. It they really, they really is. We're midway through our number two here on On the Line. We'll be back in just a few moments. Still 30 minutes out from the end of the show. Stay with us here on On the Line.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on sports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at, at Radio A L Sports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's Radio Sports.net. We're going to head to the phone lines now. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334-321-1390 or toll-free at eight 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 three eight two seventy five oh two. We got Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, how you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I was just listening to your comments about running backs fumbling, and it brought to mind about uh, Brock Thomas. I can't remember the last game he played in, but it was a critical game, and he fumbled, and they took him out of the game, and I believe he never played another down at Auburn.
1: Was that the Georgia game, or was that the Alabama game that year? It was one of those two. That's yeah, what I was And doing. it happened behind the line games. of scrimmage, and then it was a blowout. It was a runaway.
0: Yeah, and uh, – it just brought to mind that, and and he didn't play another down. And next thing I knew, he was transferred.
1: I think it was the Georgia game because Auburn got blown out in the Georgia game, thirty-four to seven. And then that Iron Bowl that year, it was it was pretty close. That was the one where it was like the most points scored ever in an Iron Bowl because that was the one where uh, you know Auburn kept kicking field goals, but Nick Marshall threw for over three hundred yards in that game because I, I think that was the twenty fourteen Iron Bowl. Auburn's had a bad a bad track record with some fumbling running backs, but Tate Bigsby as as Levi pointed out, he didn't fumble once last year apparently.
0: Okay, I just uh have to run. I got I just want to make that point.
1: Appreciate it, Specter. <laughs> Thanks for calling in.
2: Yeah, the the one in question I think is that Alabama game. I'm pretty sure.
1: Appreciate it, Specter. Thanks again for calling in. Phone lines are open if people want to call in. It's at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-75 02 been going through our depth chart series here predicting the depth chart going into a day which is a couple months out so we're spreading it out over these these two months here kind of doing about a once a week kind of thing we've already done quarterbacks in the past today we went on to running backs just recapping what we said today tank bigsby at one sean shivers at two going into a day by the year ends though you and i have devin barrett edge again but i think a lot of my opinion on that will be how devin barrett looks in a day devin barrett right now third on the depth chart for me after moving back into that uh, running back role for the tigers once again font lines are open anybody got any questions comments we want to hear from you 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 find levi on twitter at point gardner at levi fitzwater talked about this earlier in the show previewing this here, ranking the most cataclysmic hires of college football in the last 10 years. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, and now it's time to rank them. Now, of course, the most cataclysmic hire in college football that I think you can say that comes to mind immediately, this didn't happen in the last 10 years. As soon as Alabama hired Nick Saban, we all thought, well, this, this might be about to be a shakeup, right? Well, this isn't going to be fun. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not to the degree that we've seen. I don't think anybody could have expected what we saw out of Alabama no because but. this is the most impressive dynasty we've even seen out of Alabama ever but I mean it's better than even the bear dynasty
2: I just remember being I was in middle school at the time and I remember someone telling me you want to beat them now you better beat them within the first two years because it's going to be hard and at least Auburn did it
1: they beat him the first year after yeah. that
2: and they beat <laughs> him a, a few times throughout those stretches but it hasn't been it took th- them a little bit it wasn't the consistency that we expected to be able to hang with that team i mean they we got him early that 2000 what was at uh seven or six seven seven six whatever or seven eight whatever year that was his first year it was a night game it was a cold night game that uh was surprisingly on espn we don't see that too many uh time from auburn alabama
1: auburn lost tuberwolves last year in the chiswick's first year chiswick's first year i'll say this if greg mcelroy doesn't have the drive at alabama yep. i wonder what the alabama dynasty looks like today because what happened the year after the drive for Alabama?
2: They lost to Auburn. and didn't Because of
1: Cam Newton and they yeah. won a national title. And if Greg McElroy doesn't lead the drive in the 09 Iron Bowl and Auburn wins that game and upsets them. Alabama doesn't go to the national championship they don't win their first national title maybe they go to another sugar bowl they have two back-to-back sugar bowls Auburn wins the national championship in 2010 do they ever cultivate the recruiting monster do they ever cultivate the momentum to finally go on and win it in 11 and do you remember what happened in 11 they got beat in the game of the century to LSU this is like one of my biggest hot takes and I always enjoy sharing it with new people I've, I've and I'm never heard it with yeah YouTube I've never for heard the first that before time. Sting's eyes are wide open the Alabama dynasty began in the 2009 iron bowl because I'm not so certain that Alabama goes on and wins the 2011 national championship because they even lost in the regular season that year to LSU and I'm not so certain that they go on and win the natty if they didn't have that pedigree behind them in the past and if you remember even in the 2010 year they lost three games
2: yeah, I mean they lost to what? South Carolina, LSU and Auburn that 2010 year. So you come back that next year. Did they lose to LSU that year? I'm pretty sure. I I feel like they they ran the only reason I think about it was LSU ran that kind of funky little like reverse pitch play and I feel like I remembered them scoring that against them. Oh, then what 10
1: and 3 and 5 and 3 in the SEC.
2: And I know for a fact they lost Man, to Auburn and South Carolina. They went 5 and 3
1: in the SEC once.
2: <laughs> I mean to kind of counteract it, it this isn't going to say that Alabama loses that game, but what happens if Colt McCoy plays?
1: No, get this. Alabama finished fourth in the SEC West under Nick Saban at one point. Whoa.
0: <laughs> That's
2: crazy. That's, wild. That's crazy. That did team. happen. That's in, that is,
1: man. Talk about a loaded side of the conference. So then do you have confidence that they've never won it? That at that point, let's say hypothetically, they hadn't won a national championship to that point, they didn't win it in 09. And then they go into 2010. Auburn just won a national championship before them, more recently than Alabama had at that point. And then you go into 2011, and LSU is like the cream of the crop that year. Teron Matthews doing what he's doing. Does Alabama, after losing LSU again, like, does, does the machine ever get started? Is the question that I ask. It's interesting to think about. I mean, you guys are on my side on this one. It's the truth. 09 was the, the drive. The Alabama dynasty hung in the balance in that moment. If it doesn't happen, and Alabama fans. Just are, are terrible to Greg McElroy. They do not treat that dude with the respect that he deserves for helping them get their first national championship.
2: So it's our fault.
1: Our first national this championship is, this since is all Auburn's obviously fault, right? the '90s and whatnot. The first the first national championship in quite some time. The of the Nick Saban yeah. dynasty was what I meant. This is our fault. This is Auburn's fault. Don't man. don't go there. I mean, Greg McElroy did some. Hey, no, he
2: did. I mean, that team was great too. Like that's not anybody knocking how great that team was. But I mean. They won a national championship. That team's Mark great. Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, Marcel Darius. I mean, you got guys on that Julio. team. Julio. Julio. Yeah, you got plenty of guys on that team. I still want to know what that game looks like with Colt McCoy in that national championship game. I, I'm not saying that Texas would have won that game outright because you can never say that that would have completely changed it. I at least want to see. I want to see what a, what that game would have looked like, one of the most prolific winners in college football that we saw in terms of just racking up wins against that Alabama national championship team. What happens? Because Garrett Gilbert led them back into that game. You know, former Orlando Apollo quarterback Garrett Gilbert, an AAF front runner at MVP, took them back in that game. I think Colt McCoy would have done better. Doesn't mean that they would have beaten Alabama. I don't want that to be misconstrued, and that's what I'm saying. It would have at least been a better, more watchable game. I'm trying start to, to find finish.
1: like the AP poll from that year like the final AP poll like who would have made it to the national championship instead of Alabama because let's say Alabama still goes back to the to the SEC championship let's say they beat Florida once again it's like does Alabama still backdoor into the national championship and and beat Texas I don't know but are you going to look for that AP poll right now yeah I got you sounds good And, and so my whole my whole point about this has been like the drive was like the single most important moment in the Alabama dynasty like more important than like any other one because it started it all like that is the thing that got them there Auburn had that iron ball down to one drive and obviously they didn't hold on to it but that was a big moment in that dynasty the single moment that just started it all for Alabama right there if it doesn't happen that I don't think that they look the way that they do right now because I don't think they win the they don't win the 2010 title they don't win the i I, am not so certain they beat the 20 though they win the 2011 title and of course the 2012 alabama team was nasty too especially when you look at what they did to notre dame but does do they even get to that point does the machine ever get started they don't have as many national championships as they do right now though without that drive do you know who was third who that year cincinnati I don't think they would have put Cincinnati in the national yep, championship. You know, but exactly. then again, it was the computers. The that's, computers that's could do whatever they want. That was, the, that was want. the final
2: BCS ranking, or the final prior to the championship game. You have Alabama and Texas, what obviously. Was,
1: what was Cincinnati's points? Was it point nine? what? I can't see the points on
2: there. Oh, uh, okay. It's just... That's it's tough. Just, I can't see the points. It's just showing. Because if it was
1: close, I, I think Cincinnati still would have been able to make it in over a one-loss Alabama.
2: And you know who... So three and four were two G5 schools at the time. I mean, Was you it had, Boise or TCU? TCU. TCU and Boise were both undefeated that year. If I'm not mistaken, they played Was that in the an Fiesta Andy bowl. Dalton TCU? Yeah, that was an Andy Dalton TCU. Wow. They went back they went back to back to two BCS bowl games with Andy Dalton. They went, to the, they went to the Fiesta and then the Rose Bowl with that. So I mean, maybe uh, Florida was the next power five team and they had just gotten beat by Alabama. Are you gonna put, you know, them in? I, I think there's a strong case that Alabama still would have made it in over two G five schools.
1: That's no fun. That blows up my whole argument. I don't like that.
2: It would have been funny Cincinnati to see. gets
1: in. Plays for the national championship.
2: That would have been wild. That Cincinnati team. I'm pretty sure that Cincinnati team got drugged. Uh, that drug was
1: Brian by, Kelly's Cincinnati, last Cincinnati team as well, if I, I remember correctly. they got
2: drugged by Florida that year. I think Tim Tebow like, put on a clinic against them that year. Well, go look. If, if you're I'm on Wikipedia,
1: you should, be able to, you should be able to click on that. But still, I don't even know how we got there. We were talking about cataclysmic hires with Nick Saban being the top cataclysmic hire and this leads us into it because Steve Sarkeesian, I think, is one of the most cataclysmic hires that we've seen in college football, period. Like in the last 10, 15, 20 years. I think him to Texas really could be the shakeup, one of the major shakeups, like of Urban Meyer level to Ohio State, where you're like, when you saw that hire, you're like, oh, things are about to change.
2: 51 to 24. Uh, Florida beat Cincinnati. So, mm. uh, not really a good case. Mm-hmm. Also, that was the first game they coached without Brian Kelly because he had just taken that job at Notre Dame. They, have, they had interim Jeff Quinn at the time. Fun fact. That was a, it was a Brian Kelly year, though. To your you know, your point, you were correct. That was a Brian Kelly year. He just didn't coach that game.
1: Man, those were the good days in college football. Those were the good days. Everybody was beatable, it felt like. <laughs> it felt like everybody could be beaten, at least. Now there's three teams every year in the playoff. Yep. But I still think there's parody. I've gone. I've said that many times. I still think there's more okay. parody that people are giving it credit for. We wrap up On the Line on the other side of this break. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN
1: 106.7. You're On the Line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater wrapping up the show today on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show today. We just went down one of my hypothetical rants that I love to tell new people. And this is the first time I've told you guys. And I love that I did it on, live on air because Sting's mind looked blown. But I believe that if the drive didn't occur in the 2009 Iron Bowl, the Alabama dynasty would not look the way that it does now because I don't think they win the national championship in 2009. We've gone back through the BCS numbers here. You have found it. And Cincinnati, as you've already put it, would have been ranked third that year to get in if that had occurred. If Alabama had lost to Auburn, maybe Cincinnati would have gotten in. Of course, Alabama still would have made the SEC title. They would have played Florida. I don't know if they beat Florida in that game if they hadn't just beaten Auburn, if they had gone through what, they had, just, what had just transpired in the Iron Bowl the week before. It's a fun thought, though. It's a fun thought. The drive was, a, was the single most important moment, I think, in the Alabama dynasty. If it doesn't occur... Do they win as many national championships as they have right now? And I'm not just talking about one less. I'm saying, like, I, I think they, you know, went two or three less, maybe more than that. It's, it's the machine maybe doesn't get started because Auburn goes on in 2010, wins the title. And then in 2011, if now Alabama has a won one over those, th- those first, you know, five years of Nick Saban, does LSU win it in 2011? But- I'll,
2: I'll play devil's advocate. Man, I, never think, know. I think they still win that 2009 year because I still think they beat Florida and I think they get in because the all, the only teams around them are G5 teams at the time with TCU, Cincinnati, and Boise. But what if Florida, of Florida beats them? If Florida beats them, then that changes everything because then Florida wins that and they're you know back to back championships. If they they're back to back champions if they beat Texas and maybe Urban Meyer stays a little bit longer. Who knows? <laughs>
1: It's fun to go back down through this. We got onto that topic because we're ranking cataclysmic coaching hires over the last 10 years, and we brought up Nick Saban. He's not in the last 10 years, but he is the cataclysmic coaching hire in college football. Yep. These are ones, though, that we're talking about that we thought about it when the hire was made. This is yep. not hindsight looking back after how their their time ended. At the time when the hire was made, we were like, oh, this is going to change college football. Yep. And, I, and I I think we would say the most cataclysmic hire in the last 10 years, would be Urban Meyer to Ohio State. We all knew, we were like, 100%. oh, this is match made in heaven. Yep. This is going to change the game. Ohio State's coming back to the top. I mean, it's just and like they him, did. They just went just back like to the top. Just like him in Florida.
2: Just like him in Florida. I mean, when he was at Florida, he was winning national championships and you know, putting out Heisman guys. You put him at Ohio State, another historic football program, you just uh, automatically assume, you're like, oh, this is, he's going to win championships. He's going to put out guys. He's going to put guys in the NFL. Like, you just knew that. Ohio State and Florida are just similar in terms of historic relevance, and you thought, this guy's such a good coach, he's got to get it done. And he's an Ohio guy from the get-go, so, I mean, that helps too.
1: As the second most cataclysmic hire in the last 10 years, I'm putting Steve Sarkisian to Texas. I think Harbaugh's above that. I'm,
2: gonna go, I'm, I'm going Harbaugh just because it's Michigan, and I, at the time, I, I think Harbaugh was coming from a position where you thought he was guaranteed. Cause he, had t- he had taken that 49ers team to a Super Bowl, two years before that if I'm not mistaken the only reason he left that job was because he got rubbed him and the uppers didn't like each other
1: the first so so when Harbaugh was hired Ohio State was at the peak of the Urban Meyer Dice I actually think they had just won a national championship I think 2015 was Harbaugh's mm-hmm. first year that just won a national championship in 2014 I don't the, the way I view Sarkeesian right now going to Texas I think there is a there is more of a path to dominance in the Big Twelve and making a college football playoff than I thought Harbaugh had at Michigan.
2: I I agree with that point. I just thought Harbaugh was going to get through that at the time because if we're looking at this, you know, without the hindsight, of, I thought he would
1: eventually get through as well.
2: Yeah, without the hindsight of me knowing that he he hasn't, I thought that he was going to, and I understand now that that was you know not true.
1: So. I wasn't so certain though that I believed. Uh, the reason why I have Sark ahead of this, though, is because when I'm weighing these two, I believe it. Harbaugh is next on the list. He's third. I believed I believe more that Steve Sarkisian is going to control his conference than I believed Harbaugh would at the time they went. I thought Harbaugh was going to be good and he was going to bring Michigan out of the dumps. I thought it was going to take a little while. I didn't think it was going to go as fast as it did. I think it's going to be ready, set, go right now with Steve Sarkisian.
2: That makes sense to me. I, I agree with that. I agree with that because I think it's just a weak conference that you think is, maybe not a weak conference, but you think that he is his
1: only— Ohio State's one of the pillars of college football. Yeah. The only, They're in the VIP room of college football. And Texas can—Oklahoma's not in that picture. Oklahoma is much keep, more
2: upsettable than Ohio State is. Well, they also, just because—you yeah, got to think about this Oklahoma, just because they keep making the playoffs— doesn't mean they're in that lounge. They just also keep Texas making it.
1: beat Texas beats them, even when they have a significantly worse team. So like Texas State beat, beats them. Yes. I mean Iowa State <laughs> beats them on a regular basis. Like Iowa State and Kansas both beat Oklahoma on a regular basis. Te- some some bad Texas teams have beaten Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Whether or not Texas has made the conference title and Oklahoma's got a run in the conference title right now for uh, for for the Big Twelve. Yes, that is so true, but. I think it's closer to coming to an end because there's more competition right now at the top of teams beating them than teams beating Ohio State. Ohio State is a bus saw, and they have that yeah. you know Ohio State is is you know many 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 years removed from having lost to Michigan last time that Oklahoma is from the, its rivals. I think it's ready set go with Sarkisian at Texas. My next one, fifth on the list, and now Sting's joining the conversation here. Sting, hop on the mic, my man. I, you've got some thoughts now with Kirby Smart is this, and is Chris this your, Peterson.
2: Is this three or four
1: uh we are on to four now because i had harbaugh at three and, I, and okay, I, sure. I we both agree that he's a top three one jimbo fisher to a&m is on mine at the time when i hired him now we're getting kind of lower on this list and i think you can throw a lot of names in there i'm putting fisher at five because i th- i think a lot of us thought that this guy was going to you know finish second in the west maybe supersede lsu but i don't think many of us thought that he was going to upend alabama especially with the way things ended at florida state things were ugly at fsu and they're still not out of it and that's jimbo fisher's fault that's not Taggart's fault. Taggart didn't help, but I think Fisher left the FSU program in shambles. I think if
2: I think if AM was still in the Big Twelve, the Fisher hire would be a little bit higher on my list. I think it's just the fact they were in the SEC West. Like I think that's what it is, and I don't. I don't even have him on my list. I I actually agree with Sting, so I'll let him take it. I I've, I've got Kirby Smart on mine as well.
3: Yeah, I got
1: Kirby Smart. Uh, Once again, this is not hindsight. This is at the this time. This is at the time. No, right. at
2: the time I legit thought. I said. I wanted Auburn to hire Kirby Smart, yeah. and I thought that was the way they were going to go. They didn't. I'm
1: actually pretty happy Auburn didn't hire Kirby Smart. I think it would have been disastrous if Auburn had hired Kirby Smart.
2: I mean, it hasn't really worked out for Georgia. I mean, I mean, they've won some Precisely. games, but it hasn't. You know, what it hasn't resulted in one.
1: things. Yeah. Things have panned Levi's out. Leila's favorite thing has resulted in no that. rings. Well, no they rings. got an SEC championship ring.
2: I mean, they went to one,
1: but I mean, things so we. have things have panned out at Georgia exactly the way I thought they were going to pan out at Georgia when they hired Kirby Smart. I wasn't freaking out.
2: I thought it was going to be better. I legit thought I thought we were going to see Alabama East versus Alabama West every year.
1: Now, I like your Chris Peterson to Washington. Explain that one.
3: Well, I just thought, mean I mean, I guess, too, a little bit in hindsight, it did get them to the college football playoff. But Peterson was so dominant at Boise State for so
1: long that, I don't know, you just thought, I, I did anyway, that Washington was going to be great. I mean, they had been bad for a while. They've been losing to Oregon every year for a
3: long time. So, I don't know, I feel like that speaks for itself. I got one more that I thought was going to be huge, hasn't really worked out.
1: Less miles to Kansas. That makes We're sense. talking about cataclysmic I know, hires. I thought that was going to change
2: I I, the trajectory of Kansas' program. I thought, I but not the, the rest of
1: college changed. football, though
2: okay fair i thought they'd be which competing. is why i
1: disagree with your chris peterson take and that it wasn't cataclysmic it's cataclysmic in the northwest and in the pac-12 that was a big move in the pac-12 but nobody's going to fill the rumblings from seattle fair. and the rest of college football if
2: they'd have won the playoff game yes but they did
1: <laughs> but they did it you're right and maybe chris peterson would still be hanging around in college football that does it for another edition of on the line we'll see you tomorrow everybody you know where to find us